G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. As I say, around superannuation, oftentimes we're talking to finance experts, the likes of an Alex Cook, about superannuation. But what about asking a family expert? Well, there are some other dimensions often not discussed. So we're going to wade into some of those today briefly with Andrew McColl, who is Family Voice Australia State Director for the State of Queensland. Andrew is in the studio with me. Welcome along to 2020. Good morning, Neil. Hey, Andrew, as I say, uh, we'll talk about finance issues like superannuation, and some people are not even that interested in it, but uh, anyone who's a worker is having some money uh, set aside for their superannuation. Uh, We might talk to finance experts about that, and I know, and I'll set this up uh, right from the beginning, you're not a finance expert, not that I know of anyway, but you are an authority on families. You've written numerous books And some of those have been very much dedicated to a godly family. How does this issue of superannuation sit uh, in the family space? Well, it's a pretty big thing, Neil, because most of us, when we retire, we we want to have some monies uh, with us so that we don't have to be dependent upon the government. Now, that isn't always possible. There, There are a large proportion of the community, whatever proportion that might be, who need to go straight under a a pension of some kind. And what we have with super is it's a a form of compulsory saving so that that money is really, we're kind of compelled to put money into the super fund and we hope that that will be a good idea and we, we want it to be there for when we retire. Now, we talked, I mentioned in the introduction, you know, those different things which are contrasts that we might want to have a deeper understanding about as Christian believers around issues uh, in superannuation. The thought of forced saving and voluntary saving and who owns the superannuation pool. I know you've been thinking deeply about this because you're interested in families and you're interested in some developments that are happening politically Give us some insight here how you might find some Christian wisdom, some biblical wisdom around these types of topics. Well, what we know, Neil, is that poor choices have painful consequences. And if if our listeners have their Bible somewhere handy with them in the house or wherever today, they they may want to find their Bible and open it up and have a little look at the first book of Kings and chapter 21, which which actually has some very interesting insights in terms of, well, you know, what happened about 2,700 years ago in Israel. and It shows us the attitude of the leaders of the nation at the time. It showed us what were the consequences of those, those views that they held. And it also shows us what God thought of what they were doing. So... What we know today is that, as I said, we have super funds and we know that over the last couple of weeks there's been a fair bit of publicity because 
our federal treasurer, Mr Chalmers, has been talking about tinkering with the system that we have, supposedly for the very wealthy to pay more on their tax. He thinks he has some grand ideas to make super better and hopefully fairer. And of course the Greens are right behind him, pushing it even harder that he go ahead and take these these steps. Okay, so the passage that you refer to from the Bible, and as you say, this is wisdom that has survived uh, 2,700 years. Some will say, oh, isn't that just old hat? Well, I know that the story here uh, is the story of Naboth's vineyard, and you've got Ahab and Jezebel, you might like to sort of set the scene for us. We won't read the whole passage, uh, but uh, give, us a, give us an understanding of the story as you understand it here, Andrew. Well, yeah, so what I might do is just read a few verses from the passage. And so 1 Kings 21, reading for verse 1. Now it came about after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel, beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it's close to my house, and I will give you a better vineyard than it in its place. If you like, I will give you the price of it in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid me that I should give you the inheritance of my father's. So we have here just a little bit of tension coming into the, the, the land. We've got a king who happens, just happens to have a palace. And lo and behold, Naboth's vineyard is right there. And so Ahab says, hmm, I like your vineyard. Would you sell it to me? And Naboth says, no. Well, he said no. Um, we know, and uh, listeners might know, uh, that Ahab and his wife Jezebel are two of the evil characters of Old Testament history. And uh, when he turns up at home saying Naboth said no, his wife Jezebel was plotting another way of getting her way. Take us into that. Well, she was. And when he came home and he wasn't very happy, Jezebel said, in effect, and you, you'll see this, I'm just sort of paraphrasing what the Bible says. She said to Ahab, what's the matter with you, sunshine? Why are you looking so glum? And uh, he said to her, well, look, I talked to Naboth, but he doesn't want to sell me his vineyard. I'm not very happy about that. And Jezebel basically says, don't you worry about that. We'll sort that out very quickly. Thanks very much. So she gives orders and wrote letters in Ahab's name and sent them to various people and got a couple of worthless fellows to deal with the matter. So what happened was that they, uh, they called a fast and they seated Naboth at the head of the people. This is verse 12. And these two worthless people come in and say, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death. And they sent word to Jezebel saying, Ah, guess what? Naboth's been stoned and he is dead. So the plot so far 
you've got Naboth who says, no, I don't want to give up my family ancestry. The king, Ahab, who seems to be good-hearted at this point, goes home and tells his evil wife, Jezebel, and she says, don't worry about that, darling. We can solve this problem easily. So they organize some uh, a particular plot and have some henchmen take a hold of Naboth and they stone him to death. In other words, they're stealing his property. Is that the way we understand it? I think we can say, Neil, I think that's a fairly accurate summary of what's taken place so far. <laughs> <laughs> now, Mr. Chalmers has not ordered anyone to be stoned to death, <laughs> but there's an alignment here. How do you see the alignment of governments and the pool of money that's set aside as superannuation? Some might be thinking, uh, that's something that I'm leaving uh, as a uh, an inheritance for my children. That's going to be something that forms a part of the estate that will be a part of me. How do you see government interference in that? Well, I suppose it'd be our listeners. Some would think, gee, this is a pretty strong, long bow to try and swing, Andrew. I mean, you're taking a bit of uh, bit of license with Scripture, but actually, I think if we just persevere for a minute, we'll see where we might finish up here. Naboth uh, has his vineyard. Ahab likes the look of it. Anything wrong with that? No, uh, but he gives Naboth the opportunity to sell it and Naboth says, there's no way I'm selling that to you. Now, Ahab could have said, no problem, have a good day and walked away, but he didn't want to do that. Now, right now, we have some people in government in Australia our Prime Minister and our Treasurer, who are looking at super funds. They have some ideas. They would like to make some changes because they think they've got some good plans. Well, hey, maybe they're right. But I'm not sure that I've quite convinced about this. And... um, I'm sort of thinking, uh, as I suspect a number of people in Australia are today, they're a bit uneasy about this. They're not sure where this is going to finish up. Now, we thought, well, this is my money, my superannuation, but we may be in for a shock because our government may not see it our way at all. And when we're referring to our present political leaders... Who said it was yours anyway? Now it gets exciting. This sets us up for some conflict. But we should know this. The Bible teaches private property. What is mine is mine. How do I know that? God said in the Ten Commandments, You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house or anything that belongs to your neighbour. Exodus twenty fifteen to 17 Today, I'm afraid to say, our government is probably in the process of violating three of the Ten Commandments. That is, they said, 
before the election, no major changes to superannuation. Whoops, there's our first one. What's that? False witness. They say one thing one day, they do something else 10 months after the election. There's our first one. The second one is coveting what is somebody else's. And the third one is taking it without permission. Okay, it's heavy stuff to say that when we're talking about a plan to access some of that superannuation fund, and you do that by pulling various levers and changing uh, the rates by which you'll tax, all sorts of those, uh, those sorts of things. So you have a government uh, breaking three of the Ten Commandments. Now, this is one of those things, isn't it, just as a little aside, because those Ten Commandments uh, really help us to understand what's right and what's wrong. They become part of not only the law of God, but a common law that we all appreciate. Uh, And the thought of having private ownership is one of those things we've always taken for granted until we get to a point where someone is threatening to take some of those private, privately owned assets and use those for another purpose. Uh, that would be stealing, wouldn't it? So uh, when, we're, when we're assessing these sorts of things, Andrew, uh, we're talking about our government here, uh, breaking commandments. Um, maybe they've broken lots of commandments. Maybe we all have broken lots of commandments, but those commandments actually sit and they become a, a lesson for us all, don't they, as to how we actually live in a civilised society, hands off private property. Absolutely. Now, what we know in Western civilization is this, that private property is one of the foundation stones of how we do things. It, it sets us apart as civilized people. What is mine is mine. What is yours is yours. If you think my shirt's rather desirable and you like it, well, I might sell it to you or I might not. That's my decision because, hey, guess what? It's mine. Now, does our treasurer believe in the Ten Commandments? I doubt it. The super funds are worth trillions. And our treasurer, who manages and spends vast sums of our taxes, seems to view them, dare I say it, covetously, as political assets to capitalise on, possibly for an unknown agenda. So the goalposts are what we thought was going to be ours, that is our superannuation for however many number of years, may be shifting. Is that justifiable? The Bible says it's not. Don't we believe in private property? Matthew chapter 20, verse 15. I'm just turning my Bible there now, as I guess some of our listeners may be as well. Matthew twenty fifteen is a parable that Jesus told where he's talking about a certain landowner and he talks about this man who who hires men to come and work in his vineyard and they work for different um, times in the day. Some start very first thing in the morning, some start at lunchtime, some finish right near near the end of work. And they have, there's a little bit of uh, there's a little, little bit of dispute at the end of the day because he's giving the people who started late in the day the same amount of money as those 
who starred it right at the beginning. And so he has a little discussion with them, with the guy who comes early and then expects to get more money than the people who started late in the day. Now, of course, these pictures of a landowner are pictures of God himself who owns all things. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those that dwell therein. And he says in, to, the, to the fellow who started early, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Now that stands out as an absolute pinnacle of, or of light to tell us private property is very, very important. It's a cornerstone of liberty in a Western and a free community. What I'll say it again, what is yours is yours in a free Christian country. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Well, you might be just joining us and wondering what we are talking about. Well, we're talking about superannuation and an interesting connection between those biblical foundations that help us to understand why private property is important. And so, therefore, if you put two and two together and you say, well, there might be some federal government plans to access some of the superannuation pool that belongs to individual Australians, then you might get a an alignment there of how you might apply some biblical truth to what might be a right way that the government might act uh, or a wrong way. Andrew McColl is our guest. He's Family Voice Australia State Director for the state of Queensland and uh, talking through these sorts of issues with a biblical foundation and around family issues. Now, before we go any further, a couple of things I mentioned a little earlier in the conversation when we talked about forced saving and voluntary saving who owns the superannuation pool? I think we all appreciate that when we contribute to it, we're hoping that those fund managers are managing our private asset. And then the government integrity around a pool of privately owned money. Some might be thinking, Andrew, uh, it's a long bow to stretch to say that uh, these biblical foundations really relate to today, but this is really one of those things, and I'll get your thoughts here, about how the relationship uh, of biblical wisdom applies to so many areas of our lives today. Well, it certainly does, Neil, and and as I was saying earlier, that the Western civilization is based around on quite a few things, but one of them is private property, and so what that simply means that what is yours is yours and what is mine is mine and you don't get to take my shirt unless I'm happy to either give it to you or sell it to you. Now, it doesn't matter whether it's a shirt or a piece of land or a boat or anything, it's something that belongs to me or to you. Now, now here, here we had a case of Naboth wanted somebody's vineyard. I'm sorry, Ahab wanted something, wanted Naboth's vineyard. Naboth said, there's no way I'm selling this to you, mate. And and he complains to his wife about it. He's not very happy. And so she thinks she's going to be his, her husband's little helper, a rather perverse kind of helper, unfortunately. So they cook up this scheme 
and and Ahab is just as guilty in this as Jezebel is because he knows, <laughs> so he's he's aware of what she's cooking up, and so they've murdered him and taken his vineyard. Now he's murdered, uh, stoned to death. Uh, the dogs are coming and licking his blood. Enter the prophet, because we're talking about a biblical narrative story here, and Elijah the prophet is involved in this whole issue here. Uh, Give us your insights here, and now there might even be some modern-day alignments uh, speaking up and saying, wait a minute, that's not right what is is happening right now. So, uh, But thoughts here about Elijah the prophet and, and his words then as to the outcomes. Yeah, so just a bit later in 1 Kings 21, uh, so Naboth is dead. Ahab goes to the vineyard, which happens to be, of course, just next door, to take possession of it. Oh, my big opportunity. Well, he gets there, and there's somebody there. Surprise, surprise, because the Lord said to Elijah, this is verse 18, 1 Kings 21, verse 18, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, the dogs will will lick up your blood, even yours. (sighs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I should have had a warning because I'll often say the Bible is an adult book. It's not necessarily for kids. So uh, I'm hoping I'm not uh, uh, hoping we're not contributing to, uh, you know, any sort of discomfort for parents that might have young children around. But this is uh, this is gruesome detail. And so what has happened? I mean, if uh, if your life is taken by stoning, uh, dogs come and lick up your blood. Um, that's gruesome detail. Here you have the prophet, who's the voice of God, saying that if that's what you do to my servant, this is what will happen to you. How does that apply? Is there? I'm, I'm taking you deeper here, but uh, how would that apply to a, a current circumstance, do you think, when a prophet speaks? Well, just going back to what's taken place, as I was saying earlier, that, that Ahab and Jezebel had conspired to do this, and they'd broken three of the Lord's commandments. Three of them, three out of ten. That's a good start on on a clean sweep, isn't it? Well, <clears throat> God held them to account. He sent the prophet to go and be his mouthpiece for him. Now, <clears throat> the Bible does say to us, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, meaning his holy standards do not change. If, if he says that murder is wrong, if he says that theft is wrong, if he says that even coveting something is wrong. He said it back in Moses' day, three and a half thousand years ago. He says it today. He says it back here in the days of, of Naboth. So what is wrong is wrong. So the prophet turns up and he has a few things to say to Mr. Ahab, who gets a rather nasty shock as he goes to this little vineyard, and he goes on to say, Behold, I will bring evil upon you, and will utterly sweep you away, and will cut off from Ahab every male, both bond and free, and Israel. 
how it goes on. It's I won't I won't uh, take it any further. But we we get this pattern. Look, we must realise that there are temptations to people in high office to use and dare I say misuse their authority for their own purpose, and and this is problematical. We have to consider this. We have to work out the fact that in this case that we've looked at, Ahab's poor choices have had some very painful consequences. They're just about to come in the next chapter. He's killed in the next chapter in battle, and and his, and his rather unloving wife Jezebel, she dies in a similar way to Naboth, and the dogs lick up her blood. So God brings judgment on both of these individuals for their wickedness in breaking his commandments and and um, like one of them being killing Naboth. So we want to say, well, hey, uh, the this principle of private property being sacrosanct in the Western society, Western community, we have to stand by this so that we ensure that the foundations that we have around us are not being shifted and shaken like like the goalposts you know, in down at the footy field by people who've got who've got uh, things that they've said to us in the past. We won't be doing any great changes to super. super. Here we are, ten months later. Oh, they're making changes to super. Funny that, isn't it? So you have this issue of of of. Uh, false witness at work, and then theft and covetousness as well. And the warning there is for governments at all levels to be mindful that that private property actually is something that is a godly foundation. So uh, treating that with the sort of respect that is needed because, you know, <laughs> I, I'm not sure. Uh, listeners might have picked up just uh, another side of what you think of that loving, benevolent, uh, loving, never-hurt-you type God. This is the God of the Bible who in this uh, instance here is pronouncing a judgment and it's a judgment that really says, uh, if you do this, I'm going to punish you accordingly. So you've got Jezebel, uh, who eventually uh, falls over uh, uh, a balcony uh, and uh, is splattered on the ground underneath. And uh, after Jehu uh, comes across the desert, I mean, just uh, you know, filling in all the gaps. I'm not uh, being specific here on the, on the actual biblical detail, but but what happens to Jezebel is she's the one who is splattered on the ground, the dogs come and lick up her blood. Uh, and then you say that Ahab, in the next chapter, has his own fate uh, that is uh, is worked out uh, because he loses his life. And so the fulfillment of that prophecy of him being cut off, um, cut off from Ahab, every last male in Israel, so slave or free, so people would be free from him as a ruler. So how does he meet his end? Well, he he dies in battle. In battle. In First yeah. Kings twenty-two, just in the next chapter along, and uh, yeah, so he 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 gets a, a spear or a, or an arrow. I'm not sure which now. Let me just check. Yeah, I think it's in. He he gets he gets speared, or, or I'm sorry, he gets an arrow uh, that he, he stops one of those, and that's what happens sometimes in battle. But it, he he dies. Now now God uh, takes his. His punishment on those two individuals, and so <laughs> Jezebel dies, 
and um, she, she actually gets she doesn't fall over the balcony she gets thrown over the balcony and as she's going down to the ground she she bumps her head and hey there's a it's what you call a pretty earthy show there and uh, she dies and that's the end of that so so where we where we're coming to and just talk, talking about what is yours and what is mine um, it's important it is important that we prepare for our old age there will be a time uh, which we all hope is a long way away when we cannot work as we used to. It means that we endeavour as best we can to lay aside some monies and or assets while we're younger to be utilised later in life so we aren't a financial burden for others. And this is the intention of superannuation when it was first brought in 20 or 30 years ago. Now, there are different ways to do that. Money isn't captured in future in super. It can be withdrawn for other uses when investors reach a certain age. And that's important that that they have the freedom to go and do with them assets what they think is best. Now, that doesn't mean they'll always make wise choices because people are human. We, Boy, you know, who hasn't made some bad choices in life? But as Christians, we're obligated to think and act wisely, being good stewards of what we have. And the scripture does command us in scripture, do not trust in princes, in mortal man in whom there is no salvation. Uh, this is a really powerful thing to appreciate, isn't it? That as a Christian believer, you can put your trust in God and be confident that his truth actually makes sense and actually works in the civilizational sense. If you are going to separate yourself from that and you say, I have no God, I don't believe in God, I don't trust God, <clears throat> all you're left with is a government. And uh, as you're saying there, uh, don't trust in princes, in mortal man, in whom there is no salvation because uh, you just become a pawn in the game and you are there to be manipulated. So there is a sense in which trusting God here is a, an essential element of what it is uh, for our own peace of mind and for the peacefulness of our civilization. Absolutely. And, and this is what we have. And people don't always appreciate that we have a great number of freedoms today simply because our, our, our civilization or our, or, or our society in Australia was structured upon the Ten Commandments. So there are limits as to what people can do to us. That there are limits as to what governments can do. And so we have to hold people, and that includes governments, to account so they stay within their God-ordained boundaries and don't do things to trespass and go outside of that, those spheres that God has called them to stay in. That means there will be freedom for all of us, freedom for government to do what they ought to be doing and freedom for us to go about our business as members of the community and, 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 and as individuals, whether we're deciding to go, we want to go to one part of Australia or the other and want to leave in the morning or tonight or whatever it might be. That's freedom, freedom of movement, freedom of association, freedom to have an opinion and freedom to express that opinion in public wherever you want to. And so all of these things are absolutely essential and private property being one of them. That's what, that's what makes people want to go and invest and take risks and buy shares and do the things that we do, buy land, build houses and all those exciting things which people have been doing ever since Adam. 
And um, it means that we can go and do these things knowing that our rights are protected by the law. Well, they should be protected by the law. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. Well, let's turn our attention to some of the issues around the uh, Australian Mother of the Year Awards. And with Andrew McColl, our special guest in the studio with us until news time, uh, I thought we might just touch on some of those things because we had a short conversation earlier in the week because the launch was on Tuesday. And that means nominations are open. Throw open the gates. People are opportunity then to uh, to be able to nominate mothers for the Australian Mother of the Year. Now, this is something that was picked up just a few years ago. This is the third year that Family Voice Australia has been running it. Um, I mentioned in our conversation earlier this week, Andrew, uh, that it was Barnardos who were the long-time uh, hosts of the Australian Mother of the Year Award, and, and they dropped the ball, and uh, Family Voice seized a wonderful opportunity there. I wonder if you've got any thought on that and just the value of what uh, what it is that Family Voice has picked up such a prestigious award. Well, now, we wanted to encourage ladies in in terms of those kind of attributes that you want to see in in people of whether they're male or female. I mean, the Bible says to us in the Philippians chapter four, verse eight. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good re- repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Now, family voice due to the the nature of the work that we're involved in and some of the public debates that we find ourselves in does have to deal with some pretty confronting and sometimes pretty ugly subjects, as all of us would understand when it comes to family. Not everything about family is going to be is going to be nice or good or much fun talking about because, hey, there's there can be pain and and real challenge with family life from time to time. And there's nothing new about that. We get... Plenty of challenge and pain, even in Genesis, in families, right from the first book. So the, the the Bible's pretty frank, pretty blunt about some of the issues that that are faced in families, right from the get go. But what we want to do is is draw attention to those desirable, those positive things that we would love to see. Now, I should just point out too that our our, our first or primary prize is for Mother of the Year. We also have a prize, Neil, for Grandmother of the Year. So there are grandmothers. I'm sure there are thousands. Of, we have obviously got tens of thousands of grandmothers, and we can do the same, the same thing with them. So we would like to invite listeners to nominate a lady as a mother or, or, or as the Grandmother of the Year who they think has been just wonderful in one particular aspect of her motherhood, whether it be in some cases it's actually not her own biological children but other children. And so we want to draw attention to that. There's a, there's a $10 fee for the, for the nomination and you just go to the Family Voice website and there's a, a, a link on there to, to click on and go to. Just put in the details of the particular lady, pay the $10 and we will be making a selection next month from that, that that pool of women, it could be I don't know how many. I, I know yesterday I think there were half a dozen already on there, 
And so we want to be able to do that with both mothers and grandmothers so that we can uh, we we can uh, you know give our awards to uh, to these particular individuals where they've been involved in some activity that we think is really desirable it's fruitful it's great to see in 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 a mother and a and a grandmother doing these things you know it gets controversial for some people doesn't it because even when we reflect on bernardo's dropping these awards and for some of those reasons would have been around difficulties that were beginning to develop on how you define what a woman is and uh, we've still got those sorts of things, and some people might be amused by that, as uh, I'll often have a smile on my face when I'm looking at someone, uh, you know, cringing and squirming in their chair because they can't define what a woman is. Uh, some people might be uh, interested in the thought here from Family Voice Australia around these woke elements that are developing. Some people might be interested to know whether the mother of the year will be a biological woman. Uh, and the grandmother of the year might be a biological woman. These sorts of things, uh, for some people, become you know uh, almost overrated. But uh, we might take for granted that the mother of the year is going to be a biological woman. I'm assure. I'll let you assure us whether that's going to be the case. Yes, Neil, it's going to be the case because a, a woman is a woman, and a mother is a mother. <sighs> that's right, and. So in this definition of womanhood, you might even come across those who want to challenge it. Uh, now, I guess you'll carry those things uh, and deal with them as they might arise if there was some sort of protest about that. But, uh, but I think uh, listeners to our program today are likely to be all in line with the thought that the mother of year, the year ought to be a biological woman and the grandmother of the year too. And that in itself will be an honouring of womanhood because as soon as you go anything less, you turn it into a, some sort of a sideshow, don't you? Well, you do, and I, I, I'm trying to work around all of those sideshows, as, as you as you call them quite rightly, because the thing is, it doesn't matter what a woman does to her body or what a man does to his body, he or she is still a woman or a man. Now, I, I accept the fact that there will be one or two people in our community who might dispute that with me. I don't care about that. I mean, if the Bible says in Genesis one twenty-seven that he made them male and female, well, I don't know how to get to to still talk truthfully and go beyond that. That's about as, about as good as we can do. A person, therefore, is either male or they're female. And it's not determined by their sex organs only because men and women are very different creatures. Men think like men. Women think like women. They're not the same. And it's not just one uh, something which is gained from culture. We are born that way. We th we're born to think and act differently. I don't want to think like a woman. Now, sometimes being a married man, it, it helps me to understand women more fully. And I thank my wife for helping me in that. And I guess uh, I may have taught her some things about men too but we would rather have a a complementarian view that is that the, 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 the man and the women can complement one another and that rather than try and say well let's all just be the same 
that's that's ridiculous. That's a kind of like a, a mashed potato view of men and women, but actually men and women are very different. Andrew, so far as the criteria goes, uh, is there something on the website at uh, you know at Family Voice website that gives listeners something of a criteria? Because we might be able to all think of fabulous, amazing women in our communities who are achieving amazing things, uh, either by servanthood or because they've got initiatives they've got up. Uh, it could be in their workplace, in their leadership. Uh, what sort of criteria do you think uh, are you looking for? and uh, Or is there just something special, something of an X factor that you want to see in, uh, in a woman's contribution into, uh, into uh, family, motherhood, all of these things? Well, I would say that all of those things have bearing on this now because we're looking at, of course, in, in the context of, of women being serving or serving and caring and loving and in some cases taking great initiative or showing great courage or boldness. I mean, all of these things are desirable things. And, and so rather than say it's one thing or another, it could be all of these things that we've just talked about and it could be more. I mean, I do know that we've got a, a, a couple of uh, ladies that have been nominated who got involved in, in the political activities and others are involved in caring for, for other people's children. And, and, and you think, well, where, where, do you, where do you draw the line? Well, we simply draw the line about things that we think are, are, are commendable and honourable and desirable. And, and, and then let our listeners work out for themselves which, uh, which of those categories they want to choose and, 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 and simply go for it. So someone who is courageous enough to be outspoken on the areas that they are specifically concerned, whether it's marriage, family, uh, whether it's politics, industry, uh, economics, uh, all of these different areas. I mean, uh, women have got uh, such a, a vast array of uh, opportunity to contribute into the society. And, and so you're looking for those outstanding women does a Christian faith play any bearing here? Because, uh, you know, some will say, well, uh, Family Voice Australia, such a wonderful history, decade upon decade, uh, standing up for women from a biblical Christian foundation. I guess that's going to be desirable, but is that going to be part of the criteria? I don't, I don't know whether we would want to do that. Neil. I think it raises that, that raises issues about forms of discrimination that I'm not sure that we'd be entirely comfortable with. I'd rather keep it open to, to a sort of non, you know, non-religious uh, context and, and just let them, let them, let these ladies be, be themselves. And if they're the outstanding mothers or grandmothers, they're outstanding. Now, the nominations are open for, I think it's a few months. I'm not sure if you've got dates in front of you, but uh, but open uh, for a, a certain amount of time. And then they'll close. There'll be a judging. There'll be an announcement. That's correct. So we've, we've got about four or five weeks from now to the for the for the uh, nominations to be made. And yes, there, there will be an announcement and there will be prizes as well. So we want to be able to give a prize to the to the lady the mother and the grandmother, whoever they may be, we're talking about $300 and, and flowers for both, both, uh, you know, both of the winners. And uh, so that, yeah, that will be announced. I haven't got the dates right in front of me right now, but yep. we're talking about mid-April.
So we're talking around about Mother's Day, aren't we, or before Mother's Day? Probably before Mother's Day, yep. Yep. So to be a part of that, to nominate someone for the Australian Mother of the Year Award and Grandmother of the Year, uh, worth going and visiting the website of Family Voice Australia. And, of course, uh, that's an easy one to remember, familyvoice.org.au. And around the issues that we've been talking about today on superannuation, uh, I'll often say, you know, what's the book or what's the article or what's the website you can go to? But let me just uh, quite proudly say, just go to First Kings chapter 21. First Kings chapter 21, uh, read it in your own Bible. It's the story of Naboth and his vineyard. And just uh, very briefly here, uh, Andrew McColl, you are the author of a number of books, one called They Shall Become One. There's another one, The Significance of the Godly Family. You wrote that one back in 2008. You wrote one called Inherit the Earth for mid-high school students. You've had a school teaching history. And then there's one called The Great Christian Revolution, a series of 11 studies dealing with some of the applications of a Christian worldview. Where do people get a hold of those books? Well, they can contact me if they want and they can give me a ring on 0404 That's my private number. and uh, that's Or send me a text and say, Hey, Andrew, I want to talk talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Get in touch with Andrew McColl the best way you can. Family Voice Australia, familyvoice.org.au. Andrew, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Thanks, Neil. It's been a great time. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.